0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Winding that week down. All right. I don't know what it means for you because I know some people work through the weekend. But uh, for those that are more week-based standardized, or however you'd say that, Almost through. We're almost through. Um, all right, we got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff, as always, using certain entry points into a topic, but rounding it out so it feels, you know, something that's relatable to everyone. wanted to open up with an article I was reading in The Guardian. Um, they have some really decent articles at times. I know there's some controversy sometimes around The Guardian, but uh, basically the headline was, a study links too much free time. To lower sense of well-being, and I think it's important to talk about because I often talk about how we need more joy, we more de- we need more downtime, we need more rest. All of that holds true, and this article isn't debunking that. What it is debunking, or not debunking, what it is clarifying, and I'm glad it's pointing to the nuance of this, is that there's a there's a level where it actually switches over having a lot of downtime and rest from self-care into a lower level of well-being. Why is that? I'll tell you why. As humans we're all about meaning-making. We're all about purpose and meaning. Now, that's not to say that we're focusing on toxic hyper-productivity, because again, we're always trying to remind ourselves and those around us that we have worth and value, not tied to how productive we are. It's, you know what I mean, our worth is not in what we can produce or how much money we can make, so that still holds true, but we still need to find purpose and meaning in our lives. And if we're spending too much time out of purpose and meaning, we're gonna to start to feel a little bit of depression or boredom or irritability or discomfort. Because we need we need all the above, right? We need rest and downtime where we can be creative and play. And that's what playing creativity requires and what it is, is it's time to let our minds wander, right? we need more creativity and play where it's not goal directed it's not tied to productivity that's why when people turn a joy into a, a side hustle it takes the joy out of it when you love baking or knitting and you're like oh let me make it a business the joy can be can be removed because now it's rooted in how many can i make how much money can i make are people happy with what i'm doing and you've completely transformed the purpose and the goal and the positivity into a capitalist financial economic resource. And so the pressure shift, the demand changes and the purpose changes. It went from fun and play into I have to meet quotas, I have to meet a standard, I have to keep people happy, very different experience. So never turn something that gives you joy into a side hustle. It takes the pleasure out of it. And that's why self-care is about just painting for the joy of it. It doesn't have to look good. I love art that isn't standardly uh, attractive or good. That's not what it's about. If it's for self-care, you're doing it for the joy of and the play of and the creativity of this, 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 this uh, activity, right? It doesn't have to be tied to anything. But back to what I was saying is this ties into what's been going on with a lot of people with COVID where they're unemployed, underemployed, home a lot, and they're thinking, well, my God, shouldn't I be so happy all the time? I have all this downtime. I don't have to leave the house. Well, to an extent. But then as meaning makers, we need to have meaning somehow in our day. And so there can be too many days off. And it doesn't mean get back to work, it means get back to focusing on something that feels purposeful in your life, gives you meaning. And that might be focusing more on your hobbies or socialization, that gives you purpose and meaning and it's not tied to the stress of work or labor, right? And that's why laying on the couch for a full day can feel depressing, because there's not enough structure or meaning. That doesn't mean you should work, but maybe go see a friend, go to the movies, go exercise, get outside, paint something, you know what I mean? Something with purpose and meaning. It's, it's very much what's important to us. And there's an entire psychological theory called logotherapy, v- Victor Frankl's work, his book, A Man in Search of Meaning. This is kind of what it's all rooted in. He tells the story of how people that got through the Nazi camps, the ones that survived, were the ones that were able to find a purpose and meaning within it. If we can make meaning out of a struggle, then we're still in pain, but we don't have to suffer. And that's the Eastern Buddhist thing, is pain's inevitable, suffering's optional. Pain's gonna happen, bad things are gonna happen, disappointing, frustrating, difficult things. But we don't have to suffer if we can find some purpose or value in it. That doesn't mean it's acceptable, it doesn't mean it's okay, it doesn't mean it's what we want, it doesn't mean we like it, but we find meaning in it. We need to find meaning in our lives. That's also, as I've shared, what helps people stay sober, is you have to have meaning in your life, otherwise you're gonna go back to use. What are you doing with your sober time? What are you doing with your downtime? Some purpose and meaning. That's what grounds us and anchors us. So whenever you're struggling, feeling bored, irritable, depressed, is it because you're not doing anything with purpose or meaning? And it's simple solutions, but we have to know who we are to be able to step into that. What are the things that bring me joy? What are the things that give me purpose and meaning? And that happens also when someone who's a homemaker or taking care of the children, when the children go off to college or move out of the house that becomes their work as well. What do I now wanna do with my time? It's also what someone has to do when they're newly single or when they retire, right? What do I now want my time and my day and my energy to be rooted in? It's something with purpose and meaning. Even if it's just something that's fun, that's cool too. But it has to have meaning and purpose. Otherwise, we're drifting. We need that anchor. Um, so think about that process that more. When we come back, we're going to talk about parenting styles and I'm going to connect them to relational styles. And I'm also going to connect that to eroticism. See, bloop, bloop, bloop. I like to connect all those dots. Uh, see if I can do it. Maybe it's a little bit of a challenge. Uh, and then we'll be sliding into those DMs as always. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and you can check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Um, We're going to spend the night kind of being a little self-reflective and we're going to try to round it out and understand how these wider forces impact us individually and what we can do about it. So stick around. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and odyssey. We'll be back. This
0: episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
1: All right, we are back, and uh, we're going to talk about different types of parents and parenting. I'm going to try to connect this to a a different framework as well. So this is important for those that have kids, want to have children, but then I'm also going to try to connect this to what we can do as adults in adult partnerships. Because remember we never outgrow relationship we never outgrow dependence dependence is healthy dependence is a primal thing we are at our best when we're connected and supported by others we can't fully separate from others ever not only can we not literally because we're always in relationships literally by spending time with friends, family members, and loved ones, but also even symbolically when we're not with them. We're still thinking about them. We're still aware of their presence. We still can access them symbolically. We're never independent. No one is ever independently doing anything. When I get coffee, how many people's labor was required for me to have coffee in my coffee maker or to go to Starbucks? Like Nothing is done on your own. Independence isn't the goal of maturity or adulthood. Healthy dependence is learning how to be a better relational partner, which is again why I was saying this on another show. I bulk at people that say things like, We need to learn how to be single. No, you don't. We have not nailed how to be relational. We need to know how to be a better family member, friend, loved one, colleague. All of our relationships are a mental health. We have not nailed that. We don't need to work on being more of a separatist or an individualist. We've 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 got that narcissism down in our culture. We're all about doing me, self-help. We've got that down. We need to learn how to be more relational. That's as evidenced by the lack of a, you know, people's willingness to get vaccinated or wear masks. Don't care how we impact others. People, as I've said to nauseam on the show, people that worry only about their family, only about their neighborhood, only about their state, only about their country. That's that individualism again. We need to think more collectively. And so we're working on realizing that it is inherently healthier for us biologically and psychologically to be in relationship to others and connected to them. So different types of parents, and again, I'm going to talk about how this translates into you know adult relationships, but there's, and this comes out of some of Gottman's work, there's um, the dismissing parent, the disapproving parent, the laissez-faire hands-off parent, and then the healthy emotional parent. And that also comes up when we talk about the kind of uh, families around uh, eroticism and sexuality. There's the sexually, you know, the sex negative family, the sex anxious family, the sexually traumatic family, and the sex positive, healthy family. So you can make those connections. But then also what about adult partnerships, friend to friend, romantic partner to romantic partner, spouse to spouse. We want to think about that in these terms as well, because what we're really talking about, even though we're going to give mainly parenting examples, is we're talking about levels of attachment versus levels of detachment. We're talking about levels of connection versus levels of disconnection. Another set of words we can use that are uh, synonyms. We're talking about levels of presence versus lack thereof. And though all of this to say, we need to stay connected. We need to stay attached. We need to stay attuned. That is what we, that's what we need to be healthy. And we all know that as adults, we feel bad and often we can't sleep or get through our day if we've had a fight with someone we care about we're not sure the status of things. That's part of that healthy desire to stay connected. And you'll see that also in early dating when someone's wondering where they've been, why aren't they texting back? Why haven't I heard from them? That's also part of that attachment system. Where is this person? We're always seeking closeness and connection. And um, so let's talk about that. What are the different ways that these manifest themselves? Well, as the word implies, the dismissing parent disengages, ridicules. It leaves the child around this parent a little fearful, feeling a little out of control because there's something traumatic when your parent, the person you are hardwired and literally need to attach to, is also unsafe. Imagine what that creates when your adult partner, your primary partner, your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband or wife in the context of a healthy relationship or even your best friend, when that person who you're supposed to be able to rely on when in a healthy state of dependence you turn to when they're also an offender when they're also dangerous it creates what we call a very disorganized attachment style it's very confusing i'm supposed to turn to you and i feel compelled to but you're also someone who harms me and hurts me what do i do how do you manage both and that's what can happen in a dismissing parent uh but bigger than that much like in adult relationships if we're constantly turning to our partner uh making bids for their attention as they say trying to connect and they're dismissive what do we do we stop reaching out child the child will stop reaching out the adult will stop reaching out and often the adults that are like that might have been a child in a family like that where the family raised them to believe no one's there for you as evidenced by their entire childhood every time you reach for your caregiver your parent they're never available they're always dismissive they ridicule they're unavailable Profound impact. So what it is is the child learns that there's something wrong with them. They're not taught how to regulate their emotions. They're not taught that it's safe to have emotions. Because remember, emotions are this connective experience. Emotions are actually about us sharing, communicating to others what we need, where we're at, what's going on with us, right? So we need availability. So that's the dismissing parent. The disapproving parent, similar to the dismissing one, But they're more negative more critical more controlling more authoritative they focus more on discipline where the dismissing parents more like i'm not available just go play your video game oh you had a rough day at school just go eat some cookies go up to your room they're always pushing you away they're not available to help you learn how to soothe so you don't trust that others are available to get your needs met the disapproving parent is more focused on discipline and control it's harsher So similar techniques, but the child struggles again to still regulate their emotions, believe that they're allowed to have them. And again, isn't taught to believe that they can safely turn to others to get their needs met. And that's when they become adults and they become avoidant. They don't believe they can count on others and so they don't try. And that's that partner or friend where you're always like, what are you thinking? Tell me what you're thinking. I never know what you're thinking. I never know what you need. And when I reach out and I'm struggling with something, you're not really available or you're half present. That child was born in a disapproving or dismissing parent style most likely. So that's the question, right? Like what kind of child were you, but also what kind of adult are you? Are you taking these things forward or are you working on healing them? Are you taking risks and giving people that are safe chances to really show you that people can be trusted and people can be safe? Because that's part of the work, right? Is now that I maybe better understand how I am the way that I am, how do I work on not continually to practice and reinforce that and create that with my adult partner or my other children, right? Um, so before we get into the other two styles, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. Um, like I said, we'll be, uh, as always gliding into those DMS. So we'll be sliding on in there. If you got DMS first, drop them in the DMS on our love line IG page. We'll be back. You're listening to love Live with Dr. Chris on channel Q and odyssey. Alrighty, we're back and we're talking about these different parenting styles. This is work born out of Gottman's work, and we're looking at parenting styles. We're also then looking at how that creates certain kinds of adults, and we're also looking at how some adults create this in their adult relationships. So first thing we're talking about is uh, the dismissing parent. So there's the dismissing parent, the disapproving, the laissez-faire, which means kind of hands-off, not available, and then the emotionally healthy. The dismissing one, you know, think of it. You turn to them and they're not really there. They're not really interested, they don't really care. They're the parent that'll say things like, go play a video game. Go go up to your room and play go go eat something. They're not they're not the kind of parent that says come here and tell me what's going on. How was your day? You look sad. They don't sit there with full attention looking at you teaching you how to process training you to believe that you can trust people. It's quite the opposite. And they really train you to turn to external things. If as a child the way you coped with your emotions was video games or you know playing alone in your room or eating stuff. Well, that's understandable. Why, as adults, those are your preferred coping mechanisms? Because they worked, you know. And no one showed you that people can help you through things. It's hard to really believe that and practice that. And as adults, you tend to be emotionally shut down or unavoided, or this other big clinical term called alexithymic, which we see more in men because of toxic masculinity. And alexithymia is when you're not really able to identify your emotions. And a lot of men have that because men aren't raised to believe they can be soft or have, you know, emotions of fear, anxiety. Men are raised to believe we can only be angry, and that's why a lot of men only no anger. And I still see a lot of women and gay men still putting their partners down for not being manly when they're trying to practice being soft or vulnerable. We need to get better about that. So really check in on that. Um, So the other style is the laissez-faire parent. uh, And this is someone who really doesn't offer any guidance. They're a little too permissive, no structure. So again, they're not helping the child learn skills or structure or how to problem solve or how to, you know, process emotion. They're just kind of like, eh. But that's again, remember, we're not Parent blaming, we're looking at how it's intergenerationally transmitted. It's always carried forward. The parent who doesn't provide any structure or guidance, it's because they themselves don't have that. They themselves were raised without that. And they've probably formed adult partnerships with people who also don't have that or require that. And so they have nothing to give the child because nothing was given to them. See how it keeps getting pushed forward? And then if that child goes up and pushes it forward, it rolls on. Unless that child says, I need to do better and be better and starts to examine these patterns, which is why I bring it up on the show, and also end up in therapy in my office, individually or as couples, to work through. Because finally, it's creating problems, even if they can't identify it as this. And then finally, there's the emotionally healthy. They're aware of the child's emotion. They recognize them. They have empathy. They validate. They listen. And the child learns. I can turn to others. The child also learns skills from their parents. It's like when you see a parent screaming at a child, you better calm down. It's like, well, you're not even calm yourself. You absolutely aren't gonna have a calm child if you don't even know how to stay calm. You're, you as an adult can't even pull it off. I'm watching you lose your mind as a child struggling. So you should practice first. That's how the child will learn. Model it for them. Like what? Like it's such a disconnect, right? But we tend to always do that. And that's how it gets perpetuated, carried forward. But we can look at how this shows up in our adult relationships. Are we still doing that? Are we treating our partner or friend or other primary people in our lives, like our parents, I'm sorry, are we treating them like we treated our parents? Where we're honoring these things or are we trying to relate differently to them to learn that maybe if given a chance, these people might be there for us. We have to give them a chance, we have to see. And then also, are you taking that forward and becoming your parent, right? Because at first off, we don't wanna treat our partner like our parent and assume they're not there for our needs. We have to practice and try and give them a chance, right? And then while we're doing that, we also have to make sure we're not reenacting what our parent did and we have to make sure we are also being available to them. So it's am I giving them a chance to be available to me and am I I being available to them? That's how we stop that in its tracks, contrary action. If I know that I never was able to turn to my family so I stopped turning to them, I have to practice turning to my partner. Instead of shutting my feelings down, ignoring it, just going and playing golf instead or going to the bar and drinking, I'm gonna actually sit them down and say, I need to share with you what's going on with me. And when your partner comes to you, you're not gonna you know, model and mimic what your parents did by sending them away. You're gonna say, I'm here and I'm gonna listen. And that's what we do in a lot of therapy and couples therapy, learning how to step into those new ways of being. So identify that. What kind of family style do you have as a parent? What kind of style are you creating with your partners? Are you forcing them into those roles by how you're showing up? And are you showing up to them like that? to look at it from both sides it's very important work this is how we do trauma work we might not be using the word trauma but this is trauma work all the ways we show up in our adult lives especially relationally is a result of the traumas or lack thereof and so we do trauma work by being different in our present lives we can't go back and undo what's happened but we can look back to learn about where the work is and then looking to step into and doing that work we perpetuate it and that happens with families around sexuality some families are sex negative Sex is just bad, all bad, good people don't do that. Some are sexually anxious, we don't really talk about it with adult terms confidently. Some of them are very sex positive where it's very comfortable, it's honest, it's age appropriate. And then we take that forward into our adult lives. So we have to look at that piece too. It's a lot of work, but it's really meaningful stuff. All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Love Line AG page. Anything you're wondering about, we got answers for you. Or topics you want covered, or something you want us to drop deeper into, let us know. And uh, past episodes, re-listen, binge, post, shares over at wearechannelq.com. Take a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love with Doctor Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back now. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Thomas, and I've recently figured out that I am into men. Growing up, I was often very sheltered. Uh, based on where I lived in a rural area, I didn't have a lot of internet access or television at times. I since have moved to New York City, and whenever I tell men my age, I'm 36. And that uh, I'm now, just now, exploring my gay identity. They often find humor in that. Oh, I don't always feel like people are taking me seriously in that way. How do I get people to start taking me seriously? And how can I start dating when I don't always feel like I belong? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, for a lot of people, television, internet, social media are ways that they start to really kind of explore build community and figure out who they are in terms of, you know, gender and sexual identity and other identities in the world. So yeah, it's a real detriment when you don't have access to that. And so it kind of delays that, that journey and that process. There's no right age to do that though, because if we're really being healthy, we are always having new things to come about as we're kind of evolving and learning and changing and transforming, right? Our sexuality is vast. And as we're going into adulthood and having new experiences, different kinds of sex with different kinds of people, it should always be changing as well. What turns us on, what doesn't turn us on and being surprised by certain things that we maybe didn't realize we liked. So it's a really beautiful part of that. So don't, don't knock or shame that. You're maybe getting into that process later in the game, but um, it's a game we should always be in and uh, you might actually be better off for it lot less bad experiences you're full of more hope and excitement about dating where people that have been dating for a lot longer could be a little bit more beat up and traumatized and have uh, more negative assessments of self and other in that whole world and you've kind of jumped over that so see the beauty in that that by no means you know speaks to your you know ability to be a great partner sexually or otherwise you know so don't struggle with that but maybe don't lead with that either it's unfortunate I don't think it should matter but to some people it does and so maybe in leading with that people are defining you by that and making a lot of assumptions and projecting a lot on you. Stuff that's not true. So maybe don't identify. Like we get to choose how we identify, right? We get to choose what parts of ourselves we reveal. And although I want us to all be our true, total, authentic, full self in all spaces and times, um, we also have to realize that it's a choice we can make and it doesn't always have, you know, an effective outcome. And I don't know that there's value in tying yourself to this idea that I'm late in the game or new to gayness. I don't know how that helps you unless you're trying to lead with that to develop some empathy, but I don't think you need that. So I would leave that part out. Just be in the day, be in where you are. But I don't think you need to frame it like that or disclose that out of anxiety. Just move on and forward, you know? Um, and again, that newness wears off real quick. You, you start dating a few people, you'll no longer feel necessarily brand new. It's kind of like a city. You get to a city in the first couple of months, you're like, I'm new here. But a year or two in, it's the same old city. You've been there for a while. It's just part of who you are. You know what I mean? And you're seen as a true resident. So back off of maybe leading with that, um, people will get more familiar with you identifying the way you identify, uh, focus on the strengths and benefits of coming to this later in life, like I said, and don't necessarily focus on the negatives or detriments, which I don't necessarily think there has to be. And that's work everyone has to do. At some point, everyone has to step into this and doing it as a more evolved adult might might serve you more. But to those that are laughing you know, stop making judgments about when people lose their, when people first enter into their, you know, first sexual experience or identity exploration. People are going to be coming out as f- sexually fluid and non-binary, and then maybe going back to a binary identity, or maybe going from fluidity to more gay or hetero identity. Like, the world needs to get more familiar with that newness, the fluidity, and not not wanting these solid, defined selves. Um, let people be where they are. You know, more kindness. That's always what comes up for me in these kinds of questions. Everyone needs to be a little kinder and softer, you know, not laughing at where someone is on their journey. We all don't get the same opportunities to uh, go through some developmental stages. This individual was without internet and television for a while, living, you know, in the farm areas. This wasn't something that he could really do much about, you know, let people be where they are. Um, Anywho, going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about all these different early uh, ways that, our parents kind of shape us and then how we take that forward into our adulthood and ways we can work on kind of dismantling some of the downsides to that. So we talk about pouncing styles and then later adult identity and dating styles. And then of course, slide back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics you want covered. And uh, as always, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. All right, stick around y'all. We will be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. Stick around. All righty, we are back, and uh, we're gonna talk about the different types of rest just to make sure we're all getting the things we need. I am working with tons of people in my practice and in my own life that are burnt out, burnt out. And I think a lot of them just think that the work is about just shutting down and pushing back on everything. And that's true, but there's different things we need, you know, psychologically, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so it's like, kind of make sure we're hitting all those different points. Um, so, what are the different kinds of rest that you need? Well, let's talk first about physical rest. Because again, I hear a lot of people after a very busy depleting day saying, oh, now I gotta go to the gym or I'm gonna go exercise. That's the opposite of physical rest. Even though in isolation, we need a lot of exercise and movement for health, um, it can also though, used in the wrong ways or the wrong times, be something that's just further depleting. And physical rest is, first off, let's start with the basic foundational piece. You gotta nail this one, getting enough sleep. You gotta work on doing that. You gotta work on doing that. You have to figure out how to do that. Turning off your apps, going to bed earlier, getting up earlier, however you need to do that, that is the most basic foundational piece. Please, please, please work on that. Physical rest also looks like naps when needed, but remember, we don't always have the structured kind of day where we can take naps, but micro moments of rest, for our physical rest is also helpful. On your lunch break, maybe sitting outside on a bench. On your lunch break, maybe going and reclining and sitting in your car. Maybe putting your head down on your desk and just closing your eyes for five minutes. You know, between clients, sometimes I'll go and I'll just sit on my couch. I don't turn anything on, I'll just sit there. And I'll just let my body be empty for a moment, not thinking anything, not necessarily feeling anything, just down-regulating, back down to zero. And then you can do some more movement-based things, yoga, breath work, stretching, things like massage. That can be a little bit of a flow, but sometimes we just need nothingness. We need to sit in nothingness, but that's what physical rest is. Then we look at things like mental rest. So mental rest is not what we tend to think about. We talk about rest, and that's why I wanted to bring this up. Mental rest is things like not having, a, having days where there's nothing on your schedule, Having days where there's no to-do list or saying, I'll do all of that tomorrow. We need days or blocks of time where we have no accountability, responsibility, or structure. We don't have anything on our plates. I try to make my entire weekend open. I usually don't make solid plans over the weekends. I say I'm prioritizing just kind of resting and letting myself be where I'm at and, and I'll follow up but I like to keep my schedule open. I won't schedule interviews or podcasts or any other kind of work on the weekends. Those are my time to have nothing on my schedule. My schedule all week long is booked with interviews, podcasts, seeing clients, doing the radio show. So weekends, I'm resting. That's my time, physical rest, but also mental rest. Nothing's on my schedule. I don't allow anything to be put on my schedule. Just because there's free time doesn't mean it's available to have something plugged in. Free time is as important as scheduled time. And you, you have to preserve and protect that. Um, spending time in nature that really activates our parasympathetic system, which is what really soothes us and grounds us. So if you're having a very stressful day, or you're not going outside, is going to be further soothing. It really activates that system, and so that's another way to do mental rest and also physical rest. Because it matters when we pay attention to the senses. We can't rest mentally or physically if Visually with lighting or auditorially with sound or whatever it is, there's things that are chaotic or overstimulating. So we want to make sure when we're doing mental or physical rest, it's not just that our bodies are at motion or our minds are, I'm sorry, that our bodies are at rest or our minds are at rest, that we're not having stimulating things around us. So silence, darkness, mental rest is also maybe putting your phone in the drawer, turning it off, putting it down for a few hours. Because even just general swiping around is going to possibly activate us, right? Arouse us energetically because we see things that are stimulating or upsetting or frustrating, you know? So again, that's part of mental rest. Mental rest is maybe mantras, repeating mantras or reading spiritual texts. can also be listening to certain kinds of music. Talked a lot about that. So just a reminder, music can be, again, something that can give our brain a rest. We can dissociate. We can check out. We can let music drop us down into a more soothing place by playing soothing, slower music. It's okay to use the aid of something, turning down the lights, turning on candles or certain smells. I talked about how I use lavender and grapefruit oil, rub it around in my hands, put up to my face. I try to always wrap myself around the elements. So I'll do music and some darkness and also some smells. Um, So that's part of the mental piece. So what does social rest look like then? Because we also wanna track that. So again, we're talking about the levels of rest, but we're also talking about the things that might not be allowing you to rest or might be different headings to unpack to see where you need to kind of reorient things. And so social is one of those as well. That goes back a little bit um, to the mental piece, having maybe nothing planned, no solid plans, or the opposite, might feel very soothing to have plans. So social rest can be spending time with those who nourish you, really paying attention to how do I feel when I'm around and after I'm around certain people. And if you're needing a rest, those friends that are lower frequency, lower energy, less work, maybe those friends that allow for comfortable silence or the opposite, friends that talk a lot and distract us, thereby pulling us out of our own stuff. All right, well, let's take a little break. We'll come back. We'll keep breaking down the seven kinds of rest um, and areas to kind of identify where the work might be. Uh, All right, stick around, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back. And we're talking about the uh, different kinds of rest. We were talking initially about physical rest, which is about adequate sleep, taking naps or breaks, right? Stretching, some movement. And then we're talking about mental rest, which is as important, not always identified by people. And that's taking breaks, uh, having nothing on your calendar for a day or for blocks of time, clearing it, right? Not having anything to think about or be accountable to, just kind of playing and floating and just being. Uh, Mental rest can be spending time in nature. Also paying attention to the senses. Mental rest might be turning the lights down, moving into some silence, lighting a candle, some essential oils or a diffuser, so sight, sounds, and smells can be part of that. Also talked about mental rest being putting your phone down and away, not being interrupted, not having accessibility to social media posts or people being able to text you overwhelming, distressing or frustrating things. We we just kind of are a little break away from the world. Healthy use of dissociation or checking out. Mental rest can also be watching certain TV shows or movies, movies, ones that aren't overwhelming or upsetting, ones that you can kind of just check out and soothe. Um, We talked about mantras, listening to the right kind of music, and then we're talking about social rest, which is spending time around the right kind of people, the people that don't overwhelm you or exhaust you, maybe don't need anything, lower energy, or the opposite, people that have a lot to say and are high energy, and you kind of let them lead, and you maybe backseat yourself, or you just kind of vibe off their vibe. Social rest can, like we said, also have no socialization. Um, Sometimes just spending time alone. I need a lot of alone time. Some of that's because I spend my entire week, so many hours sitting with others that in my downtime, I don't really want to be connecting or or sitting with. I want to kind of just be left with my own thoughts and feelings because while doing therapy, it's very much focused on other people's thoughts and feelings. Although I'm very much in my body and using that as a diagnostic tool um, and my empathy and my attachment system, I'm also needing time away from that where I don't have to care for or think about others. And that's when I go off to Coffee shops, put on my headphones, put my head down, and I'm just kind of reading and losing myself in that. So that's a really good example of all the rest. That's physical rest. That for me is mental rest. That's also for me social rest, you know? So ask yourself, am I spending time with people that maybe deplete me and take a lot and take a lot from me, or am I spending time around... People that are kind of nourishing. you know we have different friends for different reasons and um, make sure you kind of have access to all those different types. Then there's also something that some people talk about in this area of work called creative rest. Isn't that interesting? That's why I love this. So many different domains to consider, you know areas of your life to maybe tweak, but also things to um, use to bolster resilience. So creative rest might be reading something inspiring. I know I need a lot of that for my creativity to stay in touch with that. Even if I'm not, you know, painting or creating music, creativity is still something that shows up in my life and in my work, right? I like to be around and read other things. I'm constantly seeing art. I'm constantly watching certain kinds of film. I'm constantly reading other people's work when I'm looking for myself to maybe be writing and producing. Um, This is where nature can come in again. This is where maybe creative rest is listening to certain podcasts, listening to something inspiring, Creative rest can be creating the space to step into something creative because for many people, they can't just slide into that hot. They need to kind of transition into creativity, create the right transition in or the right space or the right environment. But really prioritizing that would be a form of creative rest. Um, Surrounding yourself with inspiration. I do that, like I said, with a lot of my books. And then another important one, and I think this is really important, and it really kind of ties back to the emotional and the physical, which is... Sensory rest, we don't take note of that. But we live in a world where everything moves very fast, very quick, and very loud. A lot of things to grab your attention. Just driving down the street, there's billboards, there's cars honking, there's store signs. Maybe you're also listening to music. And that's been amplified. We know now that there's a certain number of edits that people try to build into films or TV shows to really keep people's attention. And it's a lot of constant cutting to different angles and things. It's like pop, pop, pop up. They're constantly throwing different shots up on the screen and that can be overstimulating. So we wanna really be aware of how the senses around us occupy. I get overwhelmed with bright light and loud sounds, so I'm always making sure that lighting is, in general, in my home, a little dimmer and a little quieter. So again, that might be limiting time with you know, devices and electronics and television, right? Closing your windows, if you have uh, AC, maybe putting that on to block out some of the loud sounds outside, right? Turning down the lights, maybe just lighting candles, being in dim lighting, that can be very soothing and restful, just that, environmentally. Shutting your eyes for a few minutes. Aromatherapy, as I talked about, is it very much a sensory rest, controlling what you're smelling and the impact that has on you. Um, moments of silence. Just again, saying what senses are being stimulated or triggered and which ones do I want? Or how do I want to you know, capitalize on that or work with that to kind of bring me down? Spiritual rest. We have two left, spiritual and emotional. Spiritual rest. It's often left out part of many people's lives is spirituality. And uh, reading something spiritual can be very soothing. Meditating, prayer, listening to spiritual talks and podcasts, talking with other spiritual people, spending time in spiritual environments, meetups, get togethers, podcasts, churches, volunteering. These are all ways to have a leg in that, right? To bring it into your world, to utilize it because spirituality is shown to be an important part of mental health, but also an important part of happiness because you feel like there's some greater force, there's a greater purpose and meaning to something. It gives you some interesting and really beautiful tools. You know, really healthy perspectives of kind of letting go of things that are causing suffering in your life. Ways to find purpose and meaning within suffering. You know, it's like, it transcends psychology in a lot of ways. I try to bring it in inadvertently and and overtly um, to some of my psychological work, but that could be very restful and soothing for people. And then finally, emotional rest, right? What does emotional rest look like? Well, journaling right? Getting it out, sitting down and having a deep, intimate, transparent conversation with someone, therapy, setting boundaries, choosing to be around healthier people, working on more authentic expression. Like those are all really beautiful ways to tap into these different kinds of rest. But the point is, is that we need all of these things attended to. So we don't have to jump into all of it. Just every week, try to attend to one or every day, attend to one of those levels. If you feel up to it, attend to more, it becomes built in. Maybe map it out. Put these on a calendar. Make sure it happens. Um, all right, got to take a little break. We'll be back, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. All righty, we're back. And uh, just kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier in the show. We were talking early, earlier about, uh, you know, how a lot of our early environment stuff really shows up in later adulthood and how we have to be aware of the environments we were raised in. How that might have impacted us, what we might have internalized, and more importantly, what we might be perpetuating and taking forward in our children, but also into our you know current adult relationships. And so, uh, long story short, there's this article on do I need to heal again before dating? And I thought, yeah, yeah. Like let's make sure everyone knows that. Um, regardless of why relationship ended we're going to learn a lot about ourselves by looking back at that relationship. Please don't just move on. Even if you were dumped, broken up with, or harmed in some way, I still want you to settle down and be able to look back and say, uh, it doesn't matter whose fault it was, there are things I can learn about who I can be as a relational partner based on what I just came out of. And so make sure you do that work. Yes, you have to go through grief and loss first. New identity as a single person, you have to let people know that the relationship might have ended. You're now moving through the world differently. You have more hope of better in the future or worse hope. I don't know how you feel about your singledom, but you absolutely want to look back. And I've said this before on the show and ask yourself, who was I in that relationship? Who do I want to be again? And who do I not want to be again? That's part of that healing process. If you're not doing that, or you don't have answers for that, you're not ready to start dating again. You're going to take things forward. We always do. Our newer relationships always pay the price for any damage done by us or the other in the relationships that came before them. And so your work is there, even if it's just how you were reacting to the horrible things your partner was doing, that still is a capacity you have and you wanna make sure, not only that you don't do that again, but also that you don't project stuff on the new partner. Look at what you might now assume, like look at your narrative on self and other and how to make sure you're not creating that the things you're most afraid of, being abandoned again, how might you be walking someone else into that abandonment, right? What behaviors might still be in you as a result of having been abandoned or having been betrayed, you know? You have, to, you have to be aware of that so when you move forward, you can go, oh, there's that betrayal I was afraid of. You know, this new person who is safe and worthy of trust let me down. I'm feeling very extreme about that. That's because my partner heavily let me down. I wanna make sure I respond to this new person as the person they are, the person that's before me, not keep projecting and taking things forward, so yes. We do have healing to do. How long does that take? It depends. You know, it, I don't know. When once you feel like you have a, a sense of what occurred and who you are, when you have a narrative on all of that, that's when you know it's probably safe to move forward. Um, Because that's what I keep saying. We don't need to learn how to be single. We need to learn how to be relational. We still don't have that down. And while you are single, don't work on learning how to be single. Work on how to be a better relational partner. Use your single time without expectations, without triggers, without responsibility for someone to sit and look at who you are relationally. Look at your family dynamics. How are you like your parents? How are you not like them? How are you taking some of the things you learned from them forward? And then looking at your past relationship. Who was I with my ex? Who do I not want to be again? Because I've seen what's possible by how my parents were and how I've been with all my exes. Write all the important ones down. Write what you're proud of, what you're not proud of. Fourth step that, that's some 12 step talk, but fourth step that, learn about where your work is and then step in and do that, right? And it scares me and people are like, I don't think I have a role in anything. Woof, you sure do. And once you've done that work, then you're ready to start dating again. Maybe it's very soon. Maybe it's going to take a long time. I don't know. It's dependent on you know who you are, the damage that was done and how much work you have. But you at least want to be able to identify what it is so you can call yourself out when it's happening. Also looking at the green lights, red lights and deal breakers, really mapping out what are true deal breakers versus what are just red flags, things I need to get more information around and be careful about. But we don't kick people out of our lives just from red flags. Only if they then become deal breakers, which is it's ongoing, it's chronic. They're not looking to change it. We realize it's not working. But I also see people having been hurt Very, a little too cautious in the beginning and and really looking for perfect and not willing to be made uncomfortable. You have to be willing to kind of step into that work. So the answer is yes. We all have grieving to do after a relationship and we all have healing to do. And we want to make sure we do that healing. And sometimes it's going to be therapy. Other times it's going to be journaling and other times it's going to be the things we're talking about. But just have a sense of what your work is. Um, That's kind of what we do a lot in couples and individual therapy is unpacking all that and making those connections. Um, cause remember, anytime we're relating or in a relationship with someone in any capacity, we're impacting them and they're impacting us, right? They're making us feel better about self, others, and the world and the future or the opposite. They're reminding us, I don't feel safe. I can't feel safe. I don't trust others. I can't trust others. Right? So it's about curating the right people around you, but also realizing what it is you need to be thinking about in terms of the people you bring around you, right? Nothing exists in a vacuum, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. And the body remembers and the mind remembers. It gets logged in there you know, but that work is undone in the present. So just, just be aware of who you are and what your work is. Um, coming up next is, uh, them DMS. We're going to be sliding right in there. So as always, if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMS on our Line energy page, give us a follow back and, uh, any questions you got, someone else might be wondering about it too. So you might help them get some answers. Um, always anonymous and confidential. And, uh, maybe there's a topic you want us to cover, or drop deeper into, let us know. And as always, uh over at we are channel q.com. That's where past episodes are for you to binge, post, share, relisten. Um, yeah, go back and check out some of that stuff. Um, and check out my books, Rebel, Love, and Sex Outside the Lines. Both of them cover a lot of the topics we talk about, a little crash course and some therapy and sex therapy. But um, yeah, stick around. We're gonna be hitting up those uh, DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all will be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to glide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Uh, Let's see what we got here. Hey, Dr. Chris. Having a hard time figuring out if I am in love with a friend of mine. Hard time, huh? Most likely you are, if you think you are, but let's see more. Or if I may just be in love with the idea of someone like them. Okay. We've known each other for about two and a half years. And she's been my first gay everything. She took me to my first gay club, my first Pride, all pre-COVID. Uh, now we don't see each other as often as we did because of the pandemic. Yeah, welcome welcome to a lot of our story. Um, but I find every excuse to call or text her, okay? Sometimes we take, I'm sorry, sometimes we talk all day. Sometimes we talk once a week, and on those days I find myself waiting for her calls. I don't get butterflies around her, but she does make me happy. <laughs> Should I bring up how I'm feeling, even though it might make things weird? It's funny that you asked this. I once had a friend who I did I did not have feelings for, but we were randomly talking about a, dis, a you know a disconnected topic, and they were like, "Yeah, I can't imagine finding out a friend of mine who I felt comfortable and safe with liked me." And they just said, "You know, for instance, like if this whole time I found out you liked me, I don't know how comfortable I'd feel. That would kind of like like I'd be reorienting and re narrating." our time together and it would throw me off. And I thought, I get that. Some people feel like um, you've been misleading them or you've been betraying them where they've let their guard down. We think it's totally platonic, but then there's been feelings. I don't think it has to be that dramatic. I think it can exist as long as we have boundaries and impulse control. So it's more about tolerance. You know, do you need to tell this person you like them? Well, only if you're looking to find out whether or not they like you. And if so, go that route. But if it's not about that, then no, you don't need to let them know. Just manage it and try to find an object to project that on. Who wants that? Go date. That's the best way to short circuit that. Go get your romantic needs with someone who's available and interested in that. Go get your sexual needs with someone who's available and interested in that. And just focus on being friends with this person. Now, friendship can have all the pieces that we bring into our romantic relationships. It's okay to really enjoy your time with them. You can have a friend crush, meaning you they make you very happy. You like your time with them. It's excited when you spend time with them. That's cute. There's nothing wrong with that. So that doesn't mean you love them other than maybe a platonic love, which is a powerful, beautiful thing, so I'm glad you have each other. But that doesn't mean you need to turn it into something romantic or sexual. Sometimes things are the way they are, what we value and love and enjoy, because of the structure, right? Maybe this ease and beauty of what you relate to and what you have is because you're friends and there's no further expectations. And sometimes we need to leave things well alone, You know what I mean? If, 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 if we have a great friendship, that doesn't mean, and it would be even better if we push further often that kills it. The most stable configuration tends to be friendship, lower expectations, a lot more freedom, right? We don't personalize as much. So keep them as a friend, go find someone to date who wants that. I wouldn't disrupt what you have with this person. It doesn't seem worth it. Just love the crap out of them as a friend, love their phone calls, wait for their phone calls, support them dating, you know, but If you think they have feelings and you have feelings and you're like, no, I think I am maybe interested in more. Well then you can find that out, but that might be disruptive, you know? And I don't know why you would need to disrupt that. Let be thankful for what you have. Let it be enough. We don't always have to, like I said, take it further or put more expectations upon it. You know, it sounds like you have a great person in your life. So tons of amazing people on these apps and out there in the world that are single, that want love, bring, bring yourself, gift yourself to them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, it's adorable to have friends or that you feel that close to and that bring you that much joy. You know, friends are important like that. A lot of people spend their lives trying to find that. So don't, don't disrupt that. Um, I know that that throws some people off, but um, hang tight with that. Uh, I know. All right, y'all. So that is our show this weekend. This weekend. Make sure you are focusing on what? Self-care, joy and pleasure and rest. Put your phones away. Be with those you love. Have hours built into your time that is just for you. Remember, free time isn't open, available time. Free time is booked time. Time for you to have nothing on your schedule, to wander through the day, to do something spontaneous. Free time does not mean, oh, plug in whatever you need right there. It's open for people to take advantage of or to ask for something. No, free time is time that should be booked out and unavailable it's called free time it's booked you know so prioritize that um but we'll see you next week y'all so uh, join us again on monday night as i said have a great weekend be kind to yourselves and other people as always thanks for hanging out and y'all enjoy the rest of your night
0: this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds.